Welcome to the Grace Rancho Weekly Podcast, where our goal is to help you, our church members, better understand the what and the why behind all we do here as a church. My name is Michael, and I am sitting here with Pastor Eric Durso. Hey, Michael. Howdy. We're going to talk about, we're going to cut right to the chase Thursday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Got some work to do, some things to finish up, and we're just going to tackle a, uh, a subject pretty quick. We're going to just tackle- a nice light subject. We probably should have done it over tea. We're going to talk about church discipline. Not a very light subject. Not actually In fact, light, though a very important subject for the health of the church. A very important, uh, something that I think a lot of people don't have much experience with, and so they'll need to be taught and they need to understand it. We need to have a firm grasp on what it is and why we do it. And uh, so we figured, hey, let's do a podcast on that one. Fantastic. And actually we talked about it last night with our little group, so we did. Um, it's fresh on the brain. Good deal. Well, let's, let's jump into it. Um, church discipline is important for the health of the church, but it's not only that big picture excommunication that people think of when they hear the word church discipline. It's actually a little bit more, right, Eric? The goal of it is not just to get rid of someone. And and there's steps along the way that we would even sometimes label as, uh, we would label differently. So help us understand what church discipline is. So, yeah, so we talk about it in uh, two different ways. I think when people... Um, talk when they think about church uh, discipline, they mainly think about the what you just mentioned, this big thing, excommunication, someone no longer being a member of a church because of some big sin, and uh, it's dealt with that way. But what I think the Bible presents is that a, a form of discipline is happening all the time hmm. in the life of the church, and particularly in Matthew 18, he mentions two kind of steps that happen before the church as a whole really gets involved. So if I see you in sin, because I am committed to you, because I love you, I am going to talk to you in private about that sin I've seen. Now, I think in most situations, that's kind of where the where it ends. Um, the, the person in sin recognizes it, repents, and, and desires to change. And it's done and done. If that doesn't immediately happen, then you get a couple more people and maybe involved who are aware of the situation. They go talk to the same person and call them to repent and invite them to be restored. Now, that is what we call formative discipline. Mm -hmm. It's happening in the life of the church. It's not organized. It's not structured. It doesn't involve the whole body. It's happening as we actually oversee one another's souls in love. Caring for one another, very practically warning one another out of love to keep you from sin, to keep you walking on the right path. So in this sense, it's very much just like discipleship. Discipleship, Oh yeah. Yeah, formative church discipline is just part of discipleship actually being involved in someone else's life. Yeah, so so that's kind of happening all the time, uh, the way we think of it. So that's formative discipline. But then as we go through those things and we realize that there's someone who is more committed to their sin than they are to obedience, then we have to move into a different kind of almost emergency type care 
Like imagine someone who's, you know, their heart's beginning to fail. This is no longer something you can treat with Tylenol. This is something that you have to pull out a more dramatic um, way of helping them. You know, pull out the, uh, the shock things to wake them up. What are they called? Defibrillator. Yeah, that. And you, uh, you wake them up. That's what church discipline is. You, you have to, what Jesus says is you bring them their name or you bring the, the individual's uh, issues to the whole church. And you basically invite the whole church to begin caring for that person. And so um, that church or so the whole church body is now responsible to pray for that person and to go after that person. Like a lost sheep, they're supposed to go chasing after the stray. And if still there's no repentance, then the, the final stage is to excommunicate them. That is to no longer treat them as if they're a believer. They're removed from membership. But even that's an act of love. Because again, it's, it's a kind of um, treatment that's meant to shock them. So it's like, wow, they actually do think this is serious. Maybe I should think this is serious too. Right. And it wakes them up to the, their own sin. And they, Lord willing, the goal as Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, is he had to hand over Hymenaeus and Alexander so that they might learn not to blaspheme. Yeah. Hand them over to Satan, yeah, so that they may learn not to blaspheme. In other words, it was for their own good that they were excommunicated. Um, so that's what corrective discipline is. So this is. is an important thing. It's not, it's not nothing. Uh, you shouldn't dismiss church discipline and say, ah, only you know, really uptight churches practice discipline no loving churches practice church discipline if we it's and i think it's related to the gospel like if we actually believe the gospel it includes a call to repentance includes a call to full life submission to jesus mm -hmm. then we don't think it's possible that a true born again regenerate believer live in sin without absolutely you know without the holy spirit nagging and convicting them um and so we, we, we don't allow that. That's, and if someone is doing that, then they're acting like an unbeliever. So we need to uh, you know, deal with sin in a way that is loving, in a way that calls it out and invites them to restoration. Yeah. You got two quotes here that are, that are really interesting. The first one is from a guy named Greg Willis. And this is what he said, that to many Christians in the past, a church without discipline would hardly have counted as a church. And then I actually want to pair these together. The second one is by John Dagg. And he says, when a church leaves discipline, Christ leaves with it. Those are both big statements. You're not a church if you don't practice this. And actually, if you're not committed to this, just don't plan on Christ really being part of your church. Yeah. Yeah. I think those highlight the significance of it. This is not a, a, unimportant issue. Um, I think there's some truth to the fact that what he says, just from a historical perspective, Greg Wills says that you're not really a church if you don't practice any discipline, because in what sense, if there's no being removed from membership, then there's no being in membership. There's no inside versus outside. Yep. And, and go ahead. And these people who you would excommunicate in a church that practices discipline are showing themselves to not be trusting in the gospel. And by their actions, we cannot confidently say that you are a Christian. 
Yeah. So then your church is made up of spiritually dead non-Christians. Yeah. I mean, who, that's, who are just committed to their sin more than they're committed to Christ. Yeah. So, so what about a church that has a bunch of people showing up and everyone's there and they like being, being there, but they, but they don't practice any form of church discipline at all. Um, it just seems like, can, can Christ be honored there? Can Christ work there? Yes, but there's such an important piece of what is intended to happen in a church that it's hard for that church to be healthy. And um, the, then the, the John Dagg statement about Christ leaving the church when discipline leaves, I think it's a little bit of an overstatement, a little bit of a hyperbole. Um, bit, trying to be a shocking statement. It's a shocking statement, but I would maybe say it we are leaving Christ's design for the church when we leave church discipline and that Christ might be gracious um, with churches that aren't practicing it. Um, he, but I'm not sure, you know, you think of revelation where Jesus is walking amongst the churches and he's evaluating Ephesus and Smyrna and Thyatira and all the different churches. And he, he sometimes warns them, I'm going to remove your lampstand right. unless you repent which shows there are some cases where he's very gracious and long-suffering and patient with churches that aren't getting it right. And so if, if you're not practicing church discipline as a church, it doesn't mean Jesus is abandoning, abandoning you immediately, as that quote might suggest, but it does mean that you've put yourself on a trajectory that is not aligned with Christ's design. And part of the way the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, cares for his church is by appointing under shepherds who not only encourage and teach the flock, but they also correct and rebuke and sometimes have to excommunicate those in the flock. Let's look at this. Let's just make sure we're not making this up. We've already talked about some Bible passages, um, but let's just kind of mention all the big key ones, right? Matthew 18 is probably the first one that comes to most, pe most people's minds. So Matthew 18 15 to 18. I like what I like about this is the context that many people just skip over is the previous mm. section is really setting us up for understanding church discipline. Yeah. And it's this the parable of the lost sheep. So you have this sheep that's wandering and left the 99, and the shepherd goes after him and brings him back. And then he goes into what do you do with a straying brother or sister? Yeah. Which so again, go after them, go bring after them back. Church discipline's a rescue mission. It's it's an act of love, even sacrificial love, just like the shepherd is, and it consists of four stages. As we mentioned, you got yep. the, um, the 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 private appeal, the the small group appeal, appeal or tell the whole church, and the whole church appeals to them and prays for them, and then the last and fourth stage would be to treat them as an unbeliever. Mm. I think something important to note in this passage is that Christ gives to the church the authority to do this. Because he tells them that whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. It points back to this Matthew 16 passage where this originally, he states something very similar. Um, he's telling the church, you can do this. And when you do this, you're acknowledging spiritual reality or, or what's true in heaven. That when, when you <clears throat> are loosing, in this case, excommunicating releasing at the very them, end, releasing, yeah then what you're saying is you don't look like a Christian and this church cannot call you a Christian as an outpost of it Christ's kingdom. It would be unloving for us to affirm you in this way of yeah. life. And yeah, that's exactly right. So the church actually has been given, 
heaven's authority in this, Christ's authority, um, binding and loosing, as Matthew 16, Matthew 18 make clear, to declare whether or not someone is a true citizen of the kingdom. And we don't do it perfectly because we're finite, but we do have that authority to do it under Christ. Absolutely. You mentioned 1 Timothy 1 earlier, false teachers in the church who Paul says he, he's handing over to Satan. That they might learn not to blaspheme. Handing over to Satan, we would understand to be um, being no longer included in the safety of the body of Christ, body of Christ and being put out into what is really Satan's domain, the world, mm-hmm. and left to experience the, you know, the full onslaught of the enemy um, with the hope that they see the seriousness of their sin. They see the, the danger of being in the world and it brings them back and, they, they, and we would be able to receive them back. Titus 3 is another one that has um, implications for church discipline. Interestingly, though, it's a little bit of a different kind of situation that he's addressing. He's not addressing the kind of private sin that's going on. You talked to him with one person, then you talked to him with a, a small group. He's talking about a slightly different situation where this person's divisive. He says, uh, Titus 3.10, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person hmm. is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. So that's a little more drastic in that you warn you warn again and then you're gone so so that's how much jesus cares about the unity of his church right if there's someone dividing the church for whatever reason they need to be removed from the body there are certain instances that should be taken more seriously and handled more swiftly because of what it does one of those being first corinthians 5 yeah another one where uh a member of the church is in fornication, sleeping with his father's wife. And it's known in the church. And it sounds like this guy's still coming around and everybody knows it's happening because Paul knows it's happening. And no and, one's doing anything. And nobody's doing anything. So he says, he, he, he didn't even say, confront the guy, do this. He says, just, it's so well known. And he's obviously unrepentant. He doesn't think it's wrong. It's a just stain on your church here in Corinth. So remove him when yeah when you gather remove him hand him over to satan yeah yep for the sake of the church for the sake of that person um it's it's that important so if we are we're talking about last night a little bit that there's sometimes people who think that matthew 18 is the sole you know word that we have from god about how to do church discipline and it always has to be those same steps but first corinthians 5 as you just mentioned titus 3 um, present cases where there are differing approaches to this issue. And it just makes makes sense. Like if someone murders another person, you know, one of our church members goes on a murdering rampage, do we like confront them one-on-one in private and say, hey, brother, you know, I really think you should reconsider slaughtering people. Like it's just not a good witness. I'll wait, to, I'll wait back to hear your reply. Yeah, wait, let me know what you think. And uh, if he you know, continues on his rampage, you, we get another two or three people. And obviously that's absurd because the, the sin is serious enough that we need to act immediately for the protection of the church. So that there are dynamics at play 
that allow for some flexibility for how to deal with these things. Let's think about this for a minute and what kind of sins are disciplinable? What kinds of sins do we think we should discipline in the church? Now, kinds of sins probably isn't the best way to put it because any kind of sin could get to a level where someone is so unrepentant and it is so well known and they're saying, no, I'm choosing my sin rather than following Christ and never repenting, never willing to admit. You could get with any sin listed in scripture to that point. But when we think of is every instance of sin ultimately disciplinable to the final end of it, uh, perhaps it doesn't get there. So, so what are our qualifications for a sin that the whole church should get involved in and handle seriously? Yeah. So in one sense, we talk about earlier, like the idea of church discipline includes discipling. So there is like any sin we ever see in people, we have the, sometimes love covers a multitude of sins. And if I see little ways that someone, we used the example last night, someone's self-absorbed. Prideful. Yeah. And they got these sins that are really more in the heart and they, they, they don't express themselves in great, you know, division in the church or misleading people or things like that or heinous, you know, um, crimes against other people or abuse or anything like that. Um, but it's just kind of this internal self-absorption. Just you're a, you're a immature believer and you're prideful. Um, I can, I can love that person. I need to, I need to be willing to talk with that person about those things, but there's a sense in which I need to be forbearing. I need to let love cover a multitude of sins. Because some of those things are harder to nail down. They express themselves in less obvious ways. And so you can't quite grab it and say, this is what it is. But you can say, I sense this in your life and I want to warn you and I want to help you follow Christ because I think really Christians are supposed to behave in this way yeah. instead. And, and we can't go beyond what is written, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, in, in when we're evaluating these things. So if you are prideful, but it never expresses itself in any kind of visible outward way, I can't just read your motives. I don't have access to your heart. So I therefore can't accuse you of anything. I might ask you some probing questions to try to see if I can help, help you see your own heart a little more clearly, but I can't say, Hey, I think you're prideful. I got this, you know, this hunch and you better repent. No, that's not how it works. So that leads us to the first kind of principle for dealing with sins and and when are they discipline worthy? It's it's got to be something visible. It's got to be something outward, outward, something, discernible, clear. Yeah. yeah. In in which case we're dealing with something where I can see and others can see you are in violation of something the Word of God has called us to do or be. Right. And then second, it's got to be serious. It's got to be a sin. It's got, it's got to have, it can be any sin, but it's got to have come to a level where it is clearly affecting your life. It's not just something I can see, but it's something that seems to be repeated and is affecting the church perhaps, or affecting others in negative ways. Your sin is kind of spilling out. It's not just noticeable, right? But it's, it's reached another level perhaps of being noticeable or affecting things. And, and, Leading to the third one, part of the reason it's so serious is because you're is you're unrepentant. That's the third one. It's got to be an unrepentant sin, and things just keep escalating if there's no repentance. So, 
if if it's outward we can see it it's you know, t- tangible it's in violation of a clear command of scripture if it's serious and to the point where like you're saying it's spilling out it's affecting relationships affecting a marriage or parent or your parent there's no or, question this is a struggle yeah, this any is, longer this is this is very clear and and you're not willing to change that would be time again not to rush to excommunication right. for the sake of let's get you out of the church but to for your own sake to to make you kind of ratchet up the seriousness of, or the um the um, the way the church is dealing with it the more someone's entrenched in their sin so it starts with the one and then the small group and then the entire church is all in on it all for the sake of getting this guy to repent and ultimately it's the church who makes that decision and so this it's now you know we would we would say to our membership we together are disciplining this person perhaps when you get to the point of excommunication yeah when you get to the point of excommunication it's brought before the whole church brought before all the membership of the church and and they make the decision right it's not just one person doing this it's not just the elders of a church even it's the church entirely that's our unique church governance is we believe that the whole congregation has that responsibility per first corinthians 5. yep the whole church when you assemble in my name hand this man over to satan he didn't tell the elders he didn't tell the pastor he said every member of this church in corinth you got to do this the next time you gather now um all of this could happen at once though it could be so outward so serious and so unrepentant and it's found and it's like oh this this is a bad one you mentioned someone murdering someone perhaps a serious case of adultery could be another example where it's clearly unrepentant maybe it's been happening for a while they don't want anything to do with anybody no i'm out of town i don't even live with my family anymore see uh you know instances where things escalate to such a level where you say we might we might need to go titus 3 on this or uh what was the other passage yeah titus 3. first corinthians 5. first corinthians 5. yeah where false teaching it comes to a head and it's like okay this is obvious clear no doubt in anyone's mind and you're unrepentant you need to wake up um so church discipline our goal is restoration we do it for the holiness of the church. Let's talk maybe in a few details. Let's say what church discipline does when we practice it. Yeah. What does church discipline do in a believer, in the church, et cetera? Here's why it's so helpful for churches to practice church discipline. Um, one is it exposes sin. So sometimes we're blind to our own sin. We're self-deceived. The, when we really do church discipline, we're helping each other see our own sins and again, like I said, often it's that one conversation and that's it. If, a tr- if we really have the spirit and we're humble enough to listen, we hear it and we're done. That's it. Um, the second thing is church discipline serves as a warning to the church. Yeah. All true believers, I think, want that accountability. You ever heard MacArthur's story on when he started introducing church discipline? I feel like I have, but you tell it because maybe not. He just, he'll tell the story from time to time that when he brought up the idea of starting to do church discipline at Grace Community Church, the, some of the elders on the elder board said, you're going to empty the place. And he said, I don't care. It's what the Bible teaches. And so he, they began to exercise church discipline. And what they found was that the believers were thankful. They wanted it. They, it clarified what Christianity should look like. And um, rather than emptying the place, it strengthened the body. And so it, it served when that warning, you know, when you have to do these public announcements of 
excommunication or whatever. It's a, serves as a kind of a morality tale, a cautionary tale for everyone listening that warns us to pursue holiness. Um, so a third thing it does is it aims to save the person, hand them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme or their soul being handed over so that they may save, be saved on the day of the Lord. Because that is the goal, it's a patient process unless it's very, very serious. It's a patient process because you want to give them time to repent, to be called to repent, to wake up to their sin. I mean, it's, it doesn't happen in a month. It doesn't happen in, okay, this week is step one, next week is step two, and here we go. We're telling it to the church. Yeah, it's, except in those extreme circumstances. It, yes, it, yeah. Ordinarily, ordinarily typically, regularly, this is how it happens. Because you're we want to be patient and because praying. we're not trying to tell you to leave. We want you to stay because we want you to repent. Um, a fourth thing, church discipline is protective. It protects the church from wolves, uh, protects the church from f- bad examples, protects the church from false teaching, um, <clears throat> a false idea of the gospel. You know, every, every false convert is a living, breathing, you know, contradiction of the gospel. You know, they, what they say with the, what they say, they believe they will not live with their lives. So yeah, you are undermining the gospel. So the more false converts there are, the worse we'll be as a church, the, the less healthy. And so church discipline protects us from that. And on the other side of the coin, it preserves a good witness, right? Because the more pure the church is, the more holy we are, the more we are reflecting the holiness of God, the more we are a witness to the gospel. And a huge, yeah, huge testament to what the gospel does in people's lives. Yeah, that's right. Um, is this an optional thing? We, we've kind of said it already, but is this something a church can say, yeah, yay or nay to? It's, it's yeah, thumbs up, thumbs down. No, not, not if you think that the Bible's authoritative. So much so that when we go through membership class, we say that a, a, a church is one, a gathering, a group of believers that gathers regularly, two, that preaches the gospel and God's word, three, that practices the ordinances, and then you could say 3.2, or you could say four, practices church discipline. We believe it's a, it's a mark of what the church is. You're right. To the, like, that's a pretty significant way of how we put it, is we say, if that fourth mark is not present, you're not really a church. We are not functioning as a church. So, yep. That's uh, so I think a lot of people also think that they are, I think a lot of people think that they are, you know, just going to sit back and let the elders do this stuff. What, what would, a, what should a typical church member do is they think, okay, I want to be a faithful church member. Um, I'd have a role in church discipline. What does that look like? Here's what you should not do first. Don't go around the church with a microscope looking for everybody's sin so that you can get them on it, right? That, that is not it's, love covering a multitude yeah, of sins. Th- this is, church discipline is not a self-righteous thing. It's something that's done in severe and great humility because of the severity of it. And you so, gotta get the speck out of your, or the log out of your own eye. Yeah, it's, um, it's not a witch hunt, right? But what it is, is... I'm involved meaningfully in your life enough for you to know and be able to see and need to even confess my sin to you and for us to do the same mutually to each other. So it's, I'm involved in the life of the church enough and actually getting to know people and discipling people and growing spiritually with people so that 
our lives are known and then therefore our, our sin is known. And Mark always likes to say, uh, you know, well-known, but well-loved. <laughs> um, and so fully known and fully loved is really what the church is meant to be. Um, that's why we say, I think every member known in our uh, membership class as well. And the point of that being, um, if you're a faithful member, you're going to be involved in other people's lives and things are going to come up. And that's where just on that first one, you say, Hey, I saw the way that you spoke to your wife or to your children. And I've seen it a few times. It, it was impatient or you snapped at them. I don't think that's how a father is supposed to act towards their family. Why don't we rather put on the humility and patience of Christ or, uh, you know, Hey, uh, I, I saw the way you were talking about the way you handle your business. It seems like some shady things are going on. Have you ever thought about how your Christian walk might impact the way you work and so on and so forth, right? Um, and so it's just being involved in lives of believers and then helping each other follow Jesus by helping each other grow in holiness. Very good. Yeah, Lord willing, you know, hopefully we don't have to do a bunch of excommunications. That's we not, haven't yet. haven't yet. Uh, but we will. I mean, at some point in the future, that's going to happen. I ju that's just common with every church that's aiming to be faithful. And um, so we'll have to be prepared for it. It's not something we are going to enjoy, but it'd be something that we must do as servants of Christ. Yeah. If you want to read a book on this, there's a little nine marks book. That's probably a hundred half pages long that's called Church Discipline. And it's read and it's by Jonathan Lehman. And there might even be a copy here at church for someone. Yeah, I can see one on your shelf right now. Two. Oh, that means you can get one away. Yeah. Well, first come, first come serve. And, come and get it. Don't just take it. Just ask for it. We'll see you next time.